That's right, everyone. Welcome back to 80s High, the podcast that wants to know what's the deal with airplane peanuts. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm one of your hosts, Chris, and I'm your other host, Ben. And yeah, this is 80s High. Welcome back, everyone. Benjamin, good to see you again here in homeroom. Always a pleasure, an honor, and a privilege, Master Christopher. Great to see you. Indeed. In fact, we're really excited because, oh, maybe just two whole episodes ago, we talked about a particular topic. And then (laughs) what dropped in media in the last week or two that totally blew up that particular topic? What are we talking about here? What's going on? What happened? It's a big 80s news. In the world of 80s news, um, I was thinking that maybe we should start a segment at the top of the show called It Came From The 80s. And it's like, it's like these properties from the 80s that just won't die. (laughs) I'll I'll get a theremin. I think it's in our budget. Okay. Um, So some big news dropped out of the, uh, you know, the little rag, the little ink on paper, Hollywood Reporter, that they're making another sequel to A Christmas Story. Another one. Some might say a proper sequel, because who's set to star in this movie, Ben? Well, Mr. Peter Billingsley, Ralphie himself is coming back, and I think it says the plot is purportedly he's bringing his kids back to his childhood home to have a Christmas Story Christmas, which is the name of the movie. Christmas Story Christmas. Interesting. And I think it's going to be set in the 70s, right? Exactly. Yeah. Now we're going to have that 70s show. I hope Red Foreman comes back to be a part of it. (laughs) Well, I think it's interesting because it was the 80s re-envisioning the 40s. And now this movie will be the 2020s re-envisioning the 70s. So there's a lot of interesting dynamics that could be at play. Re-envisioning the 70s as Ralphie uh, gets nostalgic and tries to remember the 40s. Like, it's how many decades are going to be in this thing? Well, here's my question, Ben. Do they visit Scott Farkas in jail? Do they talk to him through on the phone thing? Like cereal oh where it's like, you have a call from, you know? <laughs> it's coming from inside the house. Farkas is up in the attic. It's black. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. When I text you this story, what was your response? Hollywood, make new things in yes. all caps. Oh, my God. Well, here's the deal. Here, this is why I said that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think a lot of people are with me. Remakes, revivals, reboots, it's a tricky business. Yeah. More often than not, they just don't work out well. So I, I don't want I want this to succeed. I don't want it to fail. Right. But you can't get your hopes up is all I'm saying. It's really hard to recapture that magic. I want them to. I'm just very cautiously I don't even know if I'm optimistic. I'm like cautiously cautious. Cautiously cautious is a great way to put it. I uh, you know, your response was so on point. It spurred me to do something. I was thinking about the 80s and the 90s. And I think there was so much just original content and entertainment. So many movies that were like original, wacky, ridiculous ideas. And different kinds. Like the genres now are basically superhero and other. So this... (laughs) This are the two me, categories. This led me to find myself Saturday night watching Dude, Where's My Car? Oh, okay. <laughs> Frankly, because I was I was scrolling through Amazon Prime, 
And I was your your text was like you inspired me. I was like, I want to find the most unique, weirdest no sequel <sighs> that happened. And uh, I got to admit, I, I couldn't make it more than like 20, 30 minutes. It's so ridiculous, but it did make me appreciate and miss a time where it wasn't just like the ninth entry in a franchise, just these like one off goofy. Let's yeah. throw something at the wall and see what sticks kind of movies. It was great. What an original time in creativity. I can't say I've seen it, but you only making about 30 minutes in is not a good sign that I will go pick it up no. anytime soon. It's bonkers, but I lo- I think it has nostalgia in me because I had the soundtrack and had a great oh. soundtrack in the 90s, which was really, really good. Awesome. Well, speaking of fun, new, fresh content. Yes. What, uh, what are we talking about today? Yeah, today we're talking about stand-up comedy. This is... A really awesome stand-up comedian, female stand-up comedian. In fact, a groundbreaking comedian that we're going to talk a little about in history, Elaine Boozler. Yeah. So, Ben, what do you say? We go get our two drinks because that's the minimum. That's the minimum. And we'll head on to the lounge, which is history class. And we can talk a little the bit lounge. more about our special guest topic today, Elaine Boozler. What do you say? I like that we're classing this up in the lounge. Absolutely. Elaine would demand that while we walk down the hallway, we jump and smack an awning. That's what she would, she would really want us to do. She would love that. We are men after all. That's what we, we do. Uh, let's do it. Oh, oh. but one oh. thing that I always forget. Look how the wow. tables. The tables. Look how the cocktail tables have, have turned. Turned. There are oh. other events after class today that we need to learn about. So people, you know, don't miss the bus. That's right. Uh, let's hear those sweet, sweet morning announcements. Attention, 80s high. I'm Valerie, here to share today's homeroom announcements. Be sure to follow the 80s High podcast on Instagram and Twitter for a chance to win an 80-year subscription to Highlights Magazine. Do it for your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. After all, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a pretty good chance you enjoy a twinge of nostalgia here and there. Today's lunch menu will be Sloppy Joe's with a side of Lay's potato chips. Want to have a cameo in the Adventures in Babysitting reboot? You'll automatically be entered in the running by joining the class of 80s High. Don't get the blues by missing out. Email 80shighpodcast at gmail.com to join. That's 80s. After school today, stop by the pool to see what the underwater knitting club is up to. Maybe you'll snag a pair of mittens. Thank you and have a totally tubular day. Go Mogwise! I remembered for once. Look at that. It's amazing. That is great. Now let's get those drinks. Head down the hall for history class. All right. So as I mentioned, we're talking about stand-up comedy today, particularly one comedian, Elaine Boozler. And this is a name I had kind of plucked out of the ether of history. Mm -hmm. I was doing some research, trying to find a comedian, and I decided, you know what? I kind of don't want to do a white male comedian. I want to see who else is out there. And I remembered her name and I think I came across an article or like a listicle of like top 80s comedians or whatever. And I was like, oh yeah, Elaine Boozler. And I didn't remember much about her. So let's talk about where she kind of came from. Yes, what are the origins of Madame Boozler? It was a stormy day of 1952. (laughs) (laughs) Elaine was born in 1952 and she grew up in Brooklyn, New York. And she was the youngest child, uh, only daughter. I did not see how many siblings she has. 
but her father was an acrobat and her mother was a ballerina. What? I mean, performance in her blood, sure. in her upbringing. What a cool mix. What the Very heck? Cool. That's interesting. And she actually grew up with dreams of being on Broadway. That was like a thing that she thought about mm. growing up. She took 15 years of ballet lessons. Whoa. and. That 15 years of ballet lessons actually later leads her to having jobs, this kind of string of jobs as singer and dancer in this touring company. And I'll tell you, she sang in one of the specials and I was like, girl's got pipes. Oh yeah, she could sing. Yeah, she was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So she's doing that for a while. And I think kind of at the same time, she has a string of waitressing jobs, which does make it into her acts. And she also says she's just awful at it. She's like, I'm right. not, I was not a good server, not good at it whatsoever. <laughs> what do you think after now having seen Elaine Boozler yes. in specials, what do you think she was bad at with waiting well, tables? Well, clearly she would take no guff. No guff from anybody. Right. I think she would, if, you know, it would probably be a man saying something ridiculous. Well, she has the whole joke about the lady will have. Like, right. oh, yeah, 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 ordering for the lady. <laughs> yeah, and she even has the joke about, here, lady, here, lady. Like, she's feeding it, like, you know, the woman's right. a dog or whatever. Right. So I feel like she would have no compunctions about basically doling some biting remarks back at these jerky guys. Yeah. Yeah, Misogynist. I can see that. She doesn't have any appetite for that. She's like, no, thank you. I can see that. And being an expert in one-hour acts, when you have, like, an eight-hour shift, you're done. That's eight back-to-back specials. Right, right. Ain't nobody That's got insane. time for that. No one's got time for that. She has these strings of jobs, and eventually it lands her at the Improv Comedy Club. And it says she's the – I read the doorman. I'm going to say the door person. Dor- she worked door person. the door, yeah. Uh, she worked the door there for two and a half years. So, of course, she's seen a bunch of up-and-coming comedians walking in, performing – uh, throughout these two and a half years. And actually, while she's there, she meets comedian Andy Kaufman, legendary oh, wow. comedian. Oh, that explains. Some- and I will I will say, you know, we can downplay that she was a door person, but I would argue not many people recognize that that's the opening, opening act. You are there to welcome people in, loosen it's them true. up, feel out the crowd, and then they get the opening act for the headliner. You know, there's a lot of pressure on a door person out of That's the pre-MC. It's pre-MC. 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 I like that. Yeah. So Kaufman. So Kaufman, who's a regular performing at the club, and actually through talking with Andy, he convinces her, hey, you should do stand-up comedy. You're funny. Hmm. You've got the makings of a stand-up comedian. In fact, they became very close, lived together in Greenwich Village for three years. She lived with Andy Kaufman? So I've seen different reports of they lived together. I don't know if it was as friends or if they were dating. It's not super clear, so I didn't want to land either direction. I've seen both description so not 100 percent sure still to be a fly on the wall yeah. as andy kaufman's roommate just what it was like to live with that like just creative spontaneous brain yeah because this is like the early 70s so i think that's right around when andy was kind of like becoming andy kaufman yeah. basically man good on you for your patience and uh you know courage elaine boozler as you say he, he, he may have been a challenging partner and friend yeah. to uh and <laughs> Cohabitant. I oh mean. my god! <laughs> You're supposed to be on dishes on Wednesdays, Andy. What are you doing? Like, oh man. And uh, they did remain close friends uh, even after living together and maybe dating uh, until Kaufman passed away. I also read that she had a live-in relationship with comedian and actor Robin Williams in the '70s. <gasps> I didn't quite see where that fits. So I'm like, she's obviously whether she was dating or knew. These like outstanding comedians, you have to imagine being around all of this talent 
Must be very energizing. I'm going to make some horrific, just just some absolutely insultingly uh, offbeat uh, presumptions here. And Elaine, this is a great opportunity. If you hear this, she's please message us and, and come at us. But I wonder, you know, again, she's coming up in the business. Her comedy, at least what I saw, is not sort of like abstract and goofy and strange like Hoffman makes. But sure. I wonder I wonder from him, maybe she learned just like the business and the circuit and clubs and that kind of stuff. But Williams, I can kind of see it. Like, she's got hmm. so much energy in an hour. She and has. she does a lot of storytelling and she does a lot of voices. Yeah, that's true. Not in a manic sense like Williams had, but just creating a space that we're all imagining together. Uh, I see a lot in her style. There's definitely a sustained energy throughout her acts, yeah. right? Like, some people are very slow and methodical. And hers is not rushed or manic, like you said. But it really is this energy that kind of carries you through the whole hour. She's just... Boom, 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 like all through the topics. But it doesn't feel hurried, but it is a little fast paced. For oh, yeah, sure. For sure. For sure. Ah, fascinating. Yeah. So she begins performing at the improv in 1973. And, you know, we're going to talk about her specials that are out there, but a lot of her jokes do revolve around being the experiences of dating, being a single heterosexual woman, coming up in the business and being a comedian expectations, how men and women are treated differently. And there's even a little bit of political humor as well as part of kind of her repertoire of topics that she talks. Oh, and dogs, dogs. Oh, there's dogs. Oh, yes, there's dogs. And baseball. That's right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's one joke that was mentioned here about sexual double standards. Men want you to scream you're the best while swearing you've never done this with anyone before. You know, just this (laughs) (laughs) ridiculous expectations that people have and particularly of women. Her humor has been called thoughtful and feisty and socially mm. conscious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Feisty is an interesting word that I think we can come back to in terms oh, of like, yeah. would you call a man feisty if they had similar humor? Oh, interesting. I don't think so. So no. that's kind of interesting. But at some point, again, I didn't get the qu- the year here, but she performed on The Tonight Show. But Johnny Carson was not the host. It was a guest host that evening. Oh. And apparently from what I read... Johnny came back, saw the set, and said, I never want to see her on my show again. No! What? And from what I could read, he was apparently not a fan of aggressive, air quotes for everybody, since he oh, couldn't no. see my yeah, coming not a visual to podcast. America. You not can't a see. visual. Not a fan of aggressive female comedians. Wow, so Carson. I, I know. Mm, it's disappointing. Bummer, buddy. Again, I think if she was a man doing the same material, Carson probably wouldn't have cared. But there's an expectation, especially at that time, that female comedians, the few that there were, this was not the kind of material you would do. You would talk openly about sexuality and all this kind of stuff. And Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Elaine credits a lot of people in her comedy education. So obviously Andy Kaufman, also Freddie Prince, Jay Leno, Larry David, Richard Lewis, Richard Belzer, and Jimmy Walker. Uh, all folks that really kind of helped to shape, again, her education. You know, comedians learn a lot from each other. I love watching behind the scenes of comedians talk about the craft together. Oh, yeah. And there's so much about them exchanging ideas and telling each other, your comedy is great because you do this thing in this way. And the comedian's like, oh, yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> like, it's just a really fascinating analysis and deconstruction of the art. Uh, I find that very cool. I don't know if you like the, the head person of it. I, I honestly don't know. But are you a comedians in cars getting coffee 
Oh, we're gonna talk about that show. I freaking love it. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. we'll go back to that's it. That's kind of, we're gonna come back to that. I freaking love that show. Okay, go, go. go. Um, I do want to step back just really quickly because uh, you know we're talking a lot about women in comedy, and there is a sort of claim to fame for Elaine, and that is she was the first female comedian to have a cable comedy special, one hour right? special. No women had done this before, and so that really made me think, like, okay, what women were in. Not just comedy, but stand-up comedy. Yeah, right. Leading up to this. So I did like a little bit of looking just to see what that connective thread was. And I just want to talk really quickly to sort of set the stage a little bit. Oh, nice. Good. So we can go all the way back to 1891. What? With the birth of Fanny Bryce. Fanny Bryce is considered America's first female comedy superstar. Huh. She's very prolific. And the Broadway production... A funny girl is actually about her. Have you seen what? Funny Girl? No, I have not. Holy crap. I'm not. I'm familiar with it. Haven't seen it. But apparently that's about Fanny Bryce. So she's sort of the origin of America's first female comedy superstar. You also have Jackie Moms Mabley. Okay. She's credited as the first female stand-up comedian. And dated... Oh, she performed, I think, around the 50s. So she was like on the Smothers Brothers, and I think she was also on The Tonight Show. And she kind of had this persona of a dirty old woman, and she talks a lot about old men and her husband and all that kind of stuff. Her delivery is very slow, but it's like it's just this build to something funny. You can see the works. You don't know where it's going, but you can feel it. And then she kind of just hits the punchline. And you'll lose it. She's hilarious. Is it so 1950s? Is still we get a little transatlantic accent at all? Like, can you believe men today are doing the thing? With no, the we stuff? don't because she's an older lady. She doesn't wear her teeth when she's performing, <laughs> so it's kind of hard to hear her talking. <laughs> oh my god! But she has a again. This is in the 50s. She has a lot of stuff in her act about sexual innuendo, about racism. Like yeah. she's tackling big topics, and she's the first stand-up comedian. Female stand-up comedian, which is crazy. That's fascinating. Uh, not stand-up comedy, but you have Lucille Ball. Of course. We actually recently watched oh, yeah. together. We just watched Be the Being the Ricardas. Being the Yeah, yeah. That was great. Believed to be the queen of B-movies as she was sort of oh, uh, really? like build, But, That's you know, cool. obviously her hit show, I Love Lucy, lots of great comedy there. Phyllis Diller. Oh, sure. She apparently was discovered as a contestant on the Groucho Marx game show. And she's like one of the most prolific comedic performers of her time. In fact, Phyllis Diller makes a cameo on the intro of Elaine's third special, Top Tomata. Which oh my right. gosh, right. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, she kind of comes in at the end, which is hilarious. Oh, it's awesome. Joan Rivers, of course. Of course. Considered very brazen, very candid, very critical. But she talked about, again, not shying away from gender norms, sex life, politics, all that kind of stuff. There's an amazing clip online where Joan Rivers and Betty White are roasting each other on like an interview <laughs> talk show. And it is just like one old age and cheap sellout joke after the other. And they are so sharp as a knife. But then they're like so loving and makeup at the end oh, of yeah. it. But there's just oh my God. They're so fast and so sharp. They're so funny. They're so that good. That is beautiful. I do to go watch that you gotta immediately find after we stop recording. It's amazing. Carol Burnett. Of course. Carol Burnett show. Yeah, the Carol Burnett show. In fact, when she was trying to get the show made, CBS tried to talk her out of it. And they said, you know, Carol, variety is a man's game. Oh, no. Put a pin in that because we're going to come back to that when we talk about Elaine's first special. So, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gilda Radner. 
She was one of the founding original cast members of SNL. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was waiting until we are going to get to Gilda. Legend. Yeah, she, Legend. She's not the only female cast member from the first season, but she's like one of the most prolific. She has all of the different iconic characters. Rosanna Zanadana. She's got the Bob That's what I was trying to think of. Rosanna Zanadana. Yeah. <laughs> Jane Curtin, I think, was the other in the Jane inaugural Curtin, season. Yes, was Jane Curtin, yes. Jane Curtin. Yeah, so she was just kind of a show stealer from the beginning. Uh, we have Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, of course. Huge. Really groundbreaking comedian. You know, she's had talk shows. As a matter of fact, she portrayed on stage and later self-funded a documentary about Moms Mabley. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. Also, in the 90s, Whoopi became the second black woman to win an Oscar. So again, we're kind of breaking ground, different kinds of voices and people coming yeah, up. Yeah, and then yeah. I know I'm missing some names here, but then also really contemporary with Elaine is Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize Ellen had been that early. That's interesting. That's cool. And Ellen is actually the first woman to be invited on the couch uh, on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. So apparently she did not put off Mr. Carson because he invited her. That was like the big deal back on The Tonight Show is if he likes someone, a performer, he invites them to the couch to talk to them. That's like how you made it back then, which is so crazy that this one guy arbitrarily is like, so much power I like you. career. I don't like you. Yeah. Nuts. If there's anything we've seen in Hollywood where one guy holds all the power to make or break your career, that's a toxic, very bad situation. <laughs> that should not I don't exist. know too many examples where that has ended super well Does for most people. Go, well, I wonder what was – feisty. So Ellen wasn't feisty. feisty. You know, I could see it. Fascinating. I think she, she's a little more mellow. She's uh, Her delivery is a little drier. She's a little um, – Yeah, I could see that. I can't find a good word. I hate to say quirky. That sounds – Irony? You expect yeah. A, but B happens. Like That's true. Yeah. Happenstance comedy. I don't know how to describe it. So I can see her style be less off-putting and less aggressive for old, old, old Carson, uh, glass cannon Carson over there. <laughs> glass <so>. cannon Carson. <laughs> Amazing. This is a quick history of women kind of leading up to when Elaine Boozler is making it in the industry and yeah. killing it on stage. This is sort of what's led up to this and what's going on. So despite being hailed as a big success, you know, she's touring for 12 years, Elaine, but she can't quite achieve the same feats as her male peers. Mm -hmm. She said a lot of them were on doing their second cable special. She couldn't get one. So she's still living on the road. She's playing clubs across the country. In fact, uh, Richard Lewis, fellow comedian, he basically said she was the Jackie Robinson of my generation, breaking into the ranks of male stand-ups. But still, again, not quite getting that special. She goes to get one produced, and they basically are like, "Uh, no one wants to hear a woman for an hour. Right, I saw that. Oh, my God. Much like with Carol, there's countless other examples where it's like, you know what? The audience isn't ready for this. And, of course, Carol Burnett show, she goes on to be this massive success of the show. Huge. Huge ratings, huge approval, huge appeal. And we're going to see something very similar with Elaine. Yeah. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. Look out. So Elaine decides, you know what? I'm going to go fund it myself. It's I'm going to make my own special. I'll do it. And thank God back then, you know, also that had gotten started around the same time was GoFundMe. So she could just put a link out <laughs> and people could just donate. No problem. So that was her other comedian. claim to fame. This is the very first Kickstarter. She's so. a Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> But this is like the OG. It's like this and when we talked about um, the Thriller video being made. Remember yeah, they wanted like, right. was it half a million dollars? Bananas. And the studio's like, here's a nickel. Here's a nickel. So she basically uses her life savings to fund this special. 
and it's filmed in 1985, and she calls this first special Party of One. Yeah. So she spends all her money, gets it produced, and effectively sits on a shelf for a year because she shops it around and no one will still buy it. And I don't know if we're coming back to it, but for her next three specials, including Party of One, when it finally comes out, she does not miss an opportunity to complain about what she spent on Party of One. And like, Ooh, what not, was it? I don't not complain, I... but make a joke. No, oh, no, oh. Her, her, jo- her recurring joke is she, she was forced to hire like 30 union stagehands and that they were awful and useless. They just kind of like sat around backstage and did nothing. They were playing poker in the backstage. And then someone something, stole something right, of hers. You. Her shoes. Someone stole her freaking like, they shoes. They were sitting right there backstage. and they just walked away. So like all care. three specials, she makes note of how <laughs> useless <true>. union stagehands <laughs> are. Which I thought was pretty good. Well, eventually there's some turnover. As she puts it, these young up-and-coming executives at Showtime. Right, right. And her special is going around. It gets to this executive and he goes to watch it. And his wife is sitting next to him. And she's like, have you bought this yet? Why haven't you bought this special yet? Buy it. And that was basically what did it. It had to fall into the right hands. But more importantly, I think... For it to be truly appreciated, another woman had to see it and tell these men in power, you're missing out. Dum-dums, put this on the air. Boozler's story gives me hope for 80s high. You know, it just, it helps me be patient. You know, we Mm. haven't, we're not mainstream yet. We haven't been picked up by cable. (laughs) We're not doing the movies that made a show on Netflix yet. You just, Boozler's, you just gotta wait. It just we have to get into the get right ears of the right spouse. Exactly. Who's like, why out. have you not put this on your podcast network? <laughs> your podcast network. <laughs> it's coming someday. Oh, my God. Okay. So this special is an immediate success. And as we'll learn, Boozler went on to produce three more specials for Showtime over the next five years. Uh, 1986 is Party of One, then the next year in 1987, Broadway Baby, and then in 1989, her third special of the 80s, Top Tomata. Top Tomata. And she has some more success after that, which we'll talk about in contemporary culture. I think that brings us to the end of the 80s, but we have lots to talk about in chemistry. Before we go, did I miss any history bits, Mr. Benjamin? I I had a few questions, just historical settings of things in these... In her specials that I couldn't remember. Okay. So party of one, she's got Letterman basically to kind of do the opener, this longer opener thing. And Letterman just keeps ranting about cable. Mm. Like, why is she doing cable? It's a dead thing. It's never going to happen. It's never going to take off. I know nothing about the context of this. Was was there anti-cable sentiments in the 80s? Were people mad about it? I mean, why is Letterman hating on cable so much? I mean, it's a joke, of course. He's not truly hating on it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a great question. I don't know if there was a bad perception of cable back then, but it's also like a, a pay versus network. And of course, Letterman's on a network late night show. Right. So it could just be the joke of network versus cable. That he's cable. on network versus cable. Right, okay. right. Like her special's behind a paywall, but his comedy is free for the masses. Maybe, yeah, I, I didn't quite get the full scope of that and maybe we're missing something, but that's how I took it. 
Okay, okay. Like it was just like a funny joke, like, you're on cable. <laughs> right, right. Sorry, not just cable, but premium cable. This is on right, Showtime. Right, yes. Like, you can have cable and still certainly not have access to Showtime and HBO. That's uh, more pay. So uh, maybe that's the idea is, like, you can only get on this network that's, like, behind two layers of paywalls. Yeah. I don't know. I don't well, know. Well, I, I mean, it struck me because I, I was like... Was there some anti-cable propaganda the networks were trying to do to like stop cable from happening and compete with networks in the 80s? But I didn't, I don't know. It may just have been like a tongue-in-cheek rivalry. I don't think there was any like okay. all-out wars. It wasn't like the, the, <laughs> the current wars between Tesla and uh, current wars. Edison. So the only other history thing that struck me in all these is was it a thing in the 80s to always try and have like a little five to ten minute story. Mm. Before I a do want to talk about special? that in chemistry okay. class. That's I'll a great question. I want to talk about that for sure. 100%. Okay. Uh, well, in that case, that's a perfect segue to chemistry because that's, that's all I have about history. Okay. We've had our two drinks. We are laughing at practically everything now. Right. Nothing right. is not funny. Uh, <laughs> and what better place to talk about our blood alcohol level than to go to chemistry class? It's <laughs> an amazing segue. <laughs> Let's just say this much. It was a two-drink minimum. No one said anything about a maximum. There was no maximum. They're watered down anyway. It takes 20 to make anything happen. So you got you to gotta go for it. That's right. Before you get into it, because I know you've got some good structure here, I do want to say, okay. for chemistry class, I did reach out to Elaine's agent, Bill Siddons, to see if Elaine wouldn't mind coming on the show to talk. You and did, I, really? I did. And I did not get a response. So anything ah. we're about to talk about here, Elaine, if you hear this... Uh, and it's wrong, or you're unhappy with how it comes out, it's Bill's problem. It's Bill's fault. Bill could have told you, and you could have been here to keep us on the straight and narrow. And we'll be happy to do a part two episode with Oh my gosh, 100% when we do a follow-up show, for sure. That would be incredible. Are you kidding us? Oh my god. So at the top of chemistry, before we talk about Elaine and her works, I just wanted to take a step back. Do you remember a comedian or a special that first got you interested in this art form of stand-up comedy, someone that you saw that blew your mind or you were like, what's this? Can you think back? It doesn't have to be the 80s, but if it is great, do you have that kind of flashbulb memory? You know, I have to say my earliest memories of stand-up comedy are some of Robin Williams' early stuff. Oh, yeah. And I think what, you know, to get personal, I think what really connected me to Williams was the amount of energy. You have met me in a far more muted period in my life. <laughs> so I've heard from mutual friends. Oh my God. College was was still intense, but my God, elementary school and high school, I was a different being. Just vibrating and never stopping talking and never stopping moving. It was just a thing. I was not a bad kid, but I was definitely a kid who got in trouble a lot for like talking in class, yeah. not staying in my seat, like that kind of stuff. And seeing that sort of manic energy be successful was like really supportive and really helpful. And I sure. loved Robin's creativity and his ability to start with just a nugget. Someone's like, ah, somebody watered the grass. And he could tell a 20-minute joke about watering the grass that transits time and space in the world with And like accents. 40 characters. Yes, yeah, 40 exactly. characters and props. And it was just so incredible and such a cool way to look at the world and train to be sharp and fast. Uh, I would say Robin Williams was probably my earliest that really like inspired me in, in stand-up comedy. It was it was amazing. Okay. Yeah. Yourself? I can think back to like certain people that I saw that I thought were funny. When Roseanne came out, I loved that show. Yeah. 
You know, it took me a while to get into Seinfeld. I was probably in college, mm-hmm. really. Like, mm-hmm. I was aware of it in high school because it was really big. You know, you think of, like, Chevy Chase, Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, like, yeah. all, all of them. Eddie Murphy, of course, seen a lot of their movies. But as stand-up comedy, I really think it was – it's probably someone a lot of people don't know, Wendy Liebman. What I loved about Wendy – and I'm going to be honest. A lot of people, if you even go look her up, you probably still wouldn't know who she is or recognize her. But she had this very specific style of comedy that cracked me up where she would say a sentence and trail off like it's the end of the sentence. But then she'd like turn the phrase on its head where she's like, you know, I was at the store yesterday and I saw this man and I could really tell that he wanted me. To shut up. He's like, shut up, lady. <laughs> you know, like she just she, yeah, and like yeah, I her entire set was that. And so it's like she says a thing, and then how is she going to turn it into a completely different context and story that's delightful and funny? And it just blew my mind. And that was probably in the 90s at some point. I can't pinpoint a year. Oh, that's fun. That's cool. But that's where I was like, wow, stand-up comedy is crazy. Like, rather than just, like, funny comedy movies, which I, of course, loved. Sure. And I have a huge love of the art form, which we're going to end up talking about. I also, again, more broadly, do you have favorite stand-up comedians, like, now? Like, if you had, like, a top three or something, who are, like, some of your favorites? I think I know two of them. I can give you two, but let's see if you can do the two. Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt is one of them. I do love Patton Oswalt so much. John Mulaney. (gasps) <gasps> I would have I oh Ooh, that's three okay Mulaney I'm so sorry I would have forgotten you yes you are one of my top three standard comedians I love right. John Mulaney uh, I don't know if I could come up with number three what's number three Eliza Schlesinger mm. she cracks me up I have a couple of her specials she did the one that's called Elder Millennial right Elder Millennial War Paint is really good War paint is a riff off of putting makeup on a night, and you're like, this is not to look pretty. This is war paint. I'm going out there. Like, um, she's so funny. Yeah, those are my, yeah, uh, good question. What, okay. what about yourself? So I also love Patton Oswalt and um, John Mulaney. Oh, my God. I think right now John Mulaney is probably my favorite comedian. He's so good. I love Nikki Glaser. She's hilarious. Oh, she good She also one. Good does pick. a lot of celebrity roasts. She kills on celebrity roasts. Uh, Seinfeld is great. Uh, I mentioned Wendy Lehman. I also love Natasha Legaro and uh, Mike Berbiglia, who I also recently, uh, the last three, four years, stumbled upon. But love Mike. So, okay. My third question. I'm sorry. There's a lot of big questions before yeah, we get wow, down to you've, this. You've got the cues. Okay. Have you gone to like a comedy club? Oh, yeah. Uh, I visited. So I was fortunate. Again, I started my college education in theater, and I did not stick with it, but a lot of my friends did. So they were all, like, connected into that world. Mm. And so when I'd go to visit them, they're like, oh, you got to go here. You got to go here. You got to go here. In Chicago, certainly I've been to the big ones. Like, we've been to Second City, like the the major mamas and papas. Yeah. But in New... I think it was New York? I'm going to get this wrong. But there's, like, a part of Seinfeld where it's either the opening or the closing where Jerry's doing, like, stand-up in front of, like, a brick wall. We've been to that club. Is that the improv? That's where a lot of comedians make it. And one of Chappelle's writers performed that night when we were there on that oh, stage. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, we, we love going out. We've gone to um, the, oh, crap, what's it called here in Seattle? It used to be in Kirkland, and then it moved down by the university. Uh, we used to go there. We were like card-holding members at that place. We used to go all the oh, time. Okay. The Laugh. Oh, Laughs. Laughs Comedy Club. Laughs all Comedy right, Club. They're right. great. Uh, yourself, seeing people live. What blew your mind? Well, so when I was back home, you know, I grew up in Ohio's Dayton area, and there's Joker's Comedy Club. 
Jokers. And we would go to Jokers. I was probably mm, high school or college at this point. You were getting into comedy clubs in high school? They just let you in? Did you have fake ID? You get a stamp. You just get oh, a stamp. Okay. You can't oh, drink. You can't get drinks. Okay. Yeah, you get a drink. So uh, my mom knew the owner somehow. She knows everybody. But my mom knew the owner somehow. And so we would go in. And I just remember this one comedian that had us laughing so hard. We were crying. Our sides were hurting. We were begging him to stop. Basically yes. from the moment he walked out, before he even said anything, he had the audience and stitches, and it like was a constant ride through. It was nuts. That's so amazing. much fun. That's good. And the other thing that was interesting too is just seeing how much crowds matter. Like the difference between a Wednesday night and a Saturday night, it's a big deal. It's a big oh, deal. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. So yeah, I mean, that was just kind of an, an interesting um, learning lesson or bit of education about how this craft works. Because, you know, on the outside, you, you don't see all that. That's all behind the presentation. There's a lot of work a comedian's doing to hide all that artifice behind them. It's yeah, really interesting. Yeah, great, great. Oh, that's kind of fun. That's kind of early exposure. It's good. So we're coming back to Elaine Boozler and her very first cable special, self-funded because of all those jerk stores who would not put this unfunny lady on stage. Yeah, right. Because Ooh. my goodness. Because she was feisty. She's too feisty. She's too feisty. Too aggressive. Too aggressive. So Party of One, 1986, first special out of the gate. What I'd like to, for us to do now, Ben, is just talk a little bit about watching this. So the way this opens is with an introduction from Elaine, which is cool. Right, so right. we both watched this on Prime Video, right? Is that where you saw them? Well, yes, and I, I do want to oh. say, oh. when I was back in school, I was also very good at homework. I never did not deliver an assignment. I can't say I got an A-plus on everything, but I delivered everything. Okay. Your homework, is, this topic, if listeners go back and listen to Jazzercise, was just a focus on Party of One. Did I stop there? Nay, listener. I watched all three 80s specials of Lane Boozer. I did my homework. I'm, I showed up to class today ready. I'm ready. That's great. Because we're going to talk a little bit about each of these three specials. Again, that carry us through the 1980s. I love it. I would love if you were like, great. So we're going to talk about the three specials in 1990s that she did. I would be oh, so... Be you so did bad. the wrong homework. That's like when you no. read chapters three and four and they're like, quiz on chapter five and six. You're well, like, like no. I looked up the wrong Elaine Boozler. Like, I watched the specials of B-O-O-Z-L-E-R. Yeah, there's a it's Z. like the wrong one. Yeah. Like, I'm ah, Elaine Boozler. Boozler. Give me a drink. Which is a great bartender name. I'm I I can't believe it she is. never did a joke about that. And that Elaine Boozler's first comedy special is eight drink minimum. That's hers. <laughs> eight drink. Oh, man. So this opens up with an introduction from Elaine. And yeah. what we learn is that this is actually from a box set, which we're jumping a little bit ahead, but was released 30 years later yeah. and contained four of her specials was released in 2018. So it's kind of cool. There's a little bit of a forward from her. She's talking about the special, and this happens for all three of the ones we're going to talk about yeah. for this episode. This is really the point where she's talking about the fact that she was told, we don't get you. Right. She also was like, hey, part of the appeal of this being a success is I was telling jokes with dignity, not tearing my skin off for amusement, which I thought was really cool. Mm. The last thing that's really funny is she's like, I finally get on there. It's a big hit. And she's like, shortly after that, HBO creates a show called Women of the Night. Where they found all these female comedians 
to feature oh, right. and she's yeah. like but they still had to name it something after hookers which <laughs> right, right, right. which i thought was great but i did do a little other digging around and found that women of the night featured names such as rita rudner paula poundstone <gasps> joe behar Susie essman ellen degeneres there's ellen so Ellen kind of makes her break on Women of the Night. Admittedly, I do love when Paula Poundstone is a guest on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I think she's a really great guest contestant on that podcast. She's a lot of fun. I don't listen to that, but she's I funny. bet she's hilarious. Yeah, she's That's great. great. She's still got it. So then it gets into the actual special. And this starts where a lot of specials of the time start, which is a very long intro. That's like a, a skit. Yeah. It was like a little mini movie before you get to the actual person on stage. Absolutely. This threw me for such a loop. I was so confused because it happens in all three of her specials. There's like a little mini story that somehow relates to the journey of getting to start the special. Yeah. And I didn't remember that or didn't know that was a thing. And when it started, I actually stopped it and I was like, oh crap, did I rent the wrong thing on Amazon? What is Yeah, this? like I rented a movie? And I was like, no, it says Party One. This is, okay. And so then I'm like on IMDb, like looking at Party One, like is there a different movie with Elaine Boozler? No, it's the thing. And I'll, I'll let you get back to it. But the bit is generally like, she's trying to find a host to like yeah. give her a host and intro her on her special and no one will do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as you mentioned, David Letterman kind of kicks it off and he's like, oh, you're on cable. Ha ha ha, I won't yeah. do it. And then she talks to Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby's just like in the hallway somewhere? Yeah, it's like she hits him up in the hallway. He's like, I'm not going to do it. Dr. Ruth Westheimer is on. Like, she calls into the Dr. Ruth show to get advice. That was amazing. And there's a few, there's someone named Brother Theodore, which I didn't know who he was. So um, Theodore Gottlieb is like the head old guy, creepy neighbor in the movie The Burbs. Do you remember The Burbs with like Tom Hanks? I I saw it a long time ago. Vaguely remember it. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so he's from that. But like, I don't know. Who's the little magician guy? His voice sounds so familiar. I cannot remember that guy's name. I didn't write it down. Like a character in the 80s. He was there. and like He's very much, yeah, very much a character. His voice voice is so unique unto its own. Right, but I was like, who is that? It was driving me nuts. Someone's going to write us up. Hit us up. So she's going through this whole litany of people before David finally decides to introduce her. And then it transitions to her coming on stage and goes into the show proper, which I noted was 14 minutes after this thing started. That's how long the intro. I wrote, maybe it was five to 10 minutes. Oh my God. From her forward to the opening to where she actually hits the stage and starts doing stand-up comedy. 14 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. It was a lot, but again, this is not unique to her. This was just a a thing that happened in all of these specials. Um, And I was going to save it to the end of chemistry, but do you want to talk now why that's a thing? I'm literally on the edge of my seat. I want to know because it's driving me nuts. Why is that a thing? So from what I could tell is in part, this stands in for having an opening act or comedian, like to warm up the audience, right? They're going to tell jokes. Even if you're like on a sitcom, a comedian comes out and tells jokes before they start rolling the sitcom because they want the audience kind of laughing. It's like, it serves like a two drink minimum in a way, right? Sure, sure. So part of it's to warm up the audience. Part of it's to build credibility. Yeah. Again, she struggled to get a special on. So if she's going to have comedians who are famous in this time to have the David Letterman's and the Bill Cosby's, then it's going to be like, oh, she's made it. She's in league with these yeah. other giants. She's, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's on the same bench as them. She's mm. not in the little league now. So it's partly that. And then also I read kind of like to build some anticipation or drama. I find them very cringy. I find them very unnecessary. I yeah. just want the comedy to start. And I think, you know, we'll talk about this in contemporary culture, but it's like when you click something on Netflix now, it's basically right 
to Boom. Wikimedia. Let's start. Mulaney's stuff sometimes has like a brief intro, and I think some of Patton's does too, but for the most part, it's super brief, and then they just get into the business. Yeah, I, I find it just like, it brings everything to just a butt-grinding halt. It's, you know, unless yeah. it's a property you're absolutely obsessed with. Like, if you love Lord of the Rings, and you put in Lord of the Rings, you want the movie to start. But yeah. if you're really, really obsessed, a five-minute intro from Peter Jackson talking about like, this was a crazy time and I love this scene and going back and like building some anticipations background is cool if you're a super fan, but if you're just there to watch the media, you don't need the extra layer. Like just get me to the thing I came for. But that's different though. The intro, like she does the forward, right? Like, Hey, here's the special and what happened. That was right, fascinating to me. Right. This yeah. is just more like a skit that doesn't fit. You know what I, this is what I came up with. Uh, it's like when you're looking up a recipe and there's three pages of oh story. Oh my God. I hate and that you're like, oh Shut up. like right. the meme is real. You're like, just give me to the recipe. If you're a content creator who writes these recipes and does three pages of useless backstory before the recipe, I want to just tell you on behalf of everyone right now, nobody likes you. And just stop. <laughs> just stop what you're doing because we're all really tired of it. We're just trying to cook and get the house together. We don't need to read about how grandma and the old world used to go dig up beets with her bare hands. Just tell me how long to put it on the stovetop. Please. Mm-hmm. I don't have time for this. We finally get... Elaine on stage, and this is her first special. Ben, thoughts? Were there things that stood out to you? What were your overall impressions? How'd you feel about it? On the positive, like right out of the gate, she has such a good, I put, uh, perfect pace, rhythm, and candor. Mm. Like she's just a great storyteller. And her thread is really seamless between each joke. Like a very different style for the, in in college, my favorite stand-up comedian was Mitch Hedberg. Oh yeah. And Mitch like tells a joke and then everything comes to a complete stop. Yeah. He looks at his notes, and then he tells the next completely unrelated joke. No segues. No segues. And she, like, tells a story that, like, bleeds into the next thing. Yeah. And her pace is great. Like, how fast she tells him. She never, like... And you know what you see so much with, like, the greats today in comedy that she didn't do once? is She's, she's never, like laughs at herself and is like oh where was i what was i talking about mm. like she always knows exactly where she is in her act and she keeps it moving she's even great. if she does laugh at something she's just she's right there at the next beat right and she she can even a couple times in the specials she'll like snag a little audience a little crowd work she'll do like one one jab at the audience or something but then she's right back where she was it's she's so oh, good at we that. need to talk about top tomato that was an interesting audience oh, yeah. we'll oh, come yeah. back to that speaking of crowd work Oof. We're, gonna, we're gonna get in that um just in general like I think she's just really, I don't know why I've gotten into so many conversations recently about what is comedy. Like, mm. it has nothing to do with this podcast, but this is like the third conversation this month I've had, like, what makes comedy comedy. And I'm not even that funny, but we're just trying to figure it out. We, you know, we're archaeologists here. Yeah. But like, one of the nuggets of comedy is someone saying out loud something the rest of us haven't said out loud, but we're all thinking. There's yep. something about that of like the shared lived experience that we just didn't know how to put words to it. It's kind of like when you see a meme and you're like, that. That, that is exactly that's the exactly thing. It. I've never seen it in words, but that. Absolutely. So she crushes that. And she's very good at like relationship comedy, like friends yeah. and, and partners, whatever. And the third positive thing I'll say is it was so great to see how like sex positive she is. Yeah. And yeah. that change, we'll get to it, that changes a little bit in Broadway Baby, and then she mm. brings it back in Top Tomata. But like, for those who haven't listened to her, or it's been a long time, it's not grotesque, it's not off color, it's not insulting, like, right. it's just very like, 
we're adults. This is a part of being an adult. And here's some yeah. funny stuff we all know that we don't know how to say out loud about this topic. Like, she's great at it. Yeah, she's really candid, but not like in a lewd or... Lewd, that's the word I'm um, looking for, yeah. You know, she's not there for the shock of it. I love the word candor. Like, let's talk candidly yeah. about this thing, kind of like you said, that we all know and feel but don't talk about. There's a word, moquitos, that which we all know and yet no one talks about. It's moquitos. like this really... Moquitos. Or moquitas? That's moquitas, cool. I think. Not mojitos. It's two not. drink minimum, eight drink minimum. I mean, that's what I had for my two drinkers, but mojitos? I tried searching mojitos and Google was like, do you mean mosquitoes? No. <laughs> no gooks. Uh, no. No gooks. Okay, I'm going to keep looking. So she's just talking about it and yes, yeah, sex positive and also like from a perspective of a single woman living a life of sexuality, to me, it's kind of like, it's like sex in the city, right? Single femalehood in New York City. We're going to talk about it in a candid way. And it's not like, I can only talk about this stuff if I'm married. I have to talk about my husband. I have to talk about my kids. I have to talk about my family. It's like, no, there's single women out there living their best life. And it doesn't have to be like, oh, I have to wait till I'm married before (laughs) I, you know, venture off into sexuality. Like it's, no, they're full actualized people too. And it's just like, it's refreshing to see that. And also to know where comedy has come now for the diversity of voices and just things that people can talk about freely. And I like that. I love it. I love the progression of that. You don't have an Amy Schumer without people like Phyllis Diller, Mm -hmm. like Elaine Boozler, Joan Rivers, you know, talking very openly about this stuff that is taboo. Right. Hush, hush. Right. So I really appreciated that. And I really echo everything you said about kind of her, her cadence and delivery. It's precise, but it's not sharp. If that makes sense. Like it's not mean no it's sort of just like navigating the ridiculousness of this world of dating she has a great bit which is where the name came from where she's eating out alone and just one she's like that's so insulting just one tonight she's like no i've been a loser all my life no one says just two oh just two on a saturday night and then she's talking about eating out in london she's like on your own <laughs> she's like yes i'm an adult now i'm not a little girl right. like, <laughs> She feels like she's being talked to like she's a kid getting an airplane or something. Yeah, On your own. And her joke was, I'm going to open a restaurant called Just One. She's like, it's only a row of sinks, no tables. You just eat over the sink (laughs) and all the food will be in packages so you can read it while you're eating. (laughs) So good. So also from like the idea of party one, she's talking, I can't, now I can't remember what the topic is, but she's either talking about a microwave or like a cookbook that's about like cooking for yourself by yourself. Oh, yeah. And she just has this line where she's like, heat it up. Don't heat it up. Who gives a st- You're alone. <laughs> it just killed me when she hit that. It was so good. She's also joking, like, if men sleep over the next morning, they expect her to cook. And she's like, what do you want, toast? I don't have these recipes. <laughs> so that's, that's a spot that I love. She does the whole bit about just sleeping. And we're not, again, she's sex positive. We're not talking about sleeping with, we are talking about sleeping with people, but like not in the knowledge biblical sense. No, she does talk about it, she but does not about in the this case. But she's just her like line of jokes about how complicated it is to share a bed with another human being comfortably. Oh yeah. It, it just, all of it is so on point. Hair in your mouth, breathing in someone's <laughs> face, big spoon, little spoon, getting kicked. Like all that stuff is so good. Yeah, this is a great line. Cuddling is like Marxism. It's good in theory, but bad in practice. Yeah, it's brilliant. Either make love or go to your separate corners. (laughs) So good. Um, I Uh, loved her line where she's like, she's talking about going to the beach. 
And she's like, you know, at the beach and someone picks up a shell and they say, oh, you can hear the ocean. She goes, you can hear the ocean. You're at the beach. You could pick up a bike and hear the ocean. She's like, put the shell down. You hear the ocean twice as loud. <laughs> so, so good. Good. Uh, the guy she's with currently during Party of One said that after 300 women, he picked Elaine because she didn't have a cat. Yeah. And I just want to throw there before I met my wonderful wife. There were many people who I had an interest in, and once I learned they had a cat, there was no date. Because <laughs> uh, I'm so allergic, I was like, this is going to go nowhere. This just can't happen. Well, that's true. For you, it's allergies. I don't think that was his thing, but that's funny, though. Totally. But I, can t- I was like, that's me! Right there! That's oh, me! Oh, that's you because it'll kill you. That's me! It was totally me. Amongst the many things that will kill you, including the airline peanuts that I gagged about at the entrance. Yes, exactly! Cats! That would definitely kill you. Cats, huge problem. Yeah, oh, terribly. I teased it at the top. We're going to get back to contemporary culture. But I do love so much that she's not self-deprecating. Yeah. I mean, she does talk about herself of like where she makes mistakes or she doesn't understand something or it's kind of goofy X, Y, and Z. Right. But like I have been in live stand-up shows where the comedian is just endlessly making fun about their physical appearance, their stupidity, their lack of success with their relationships. Right. And it's just all hating on themselves. And you feel like you're watching a therapy session that's going really bad, Lee, instead of comedy. And I loved, I love that she was not self-deprecating. You know, uh, Hannah Gadsby has a, I think it was in her really big breakout one. It's not Douglas, it's the other one, Nanette. Her special Nanette, where she's talking about quitting comedy. And she's talking about humor. She's like, I can't do self-deprecating humor anymore. She's like, it's not self-deprecation, it's humiliation. Yeah. And that, that was just like That's kind a of a line. gut punch, really yeah. a gut punch when she said that. You know, because she's an out lesbian and talking about how, you know, yeah. she used to do that very thing is be self-deprecating to take it away from the audience. You can't make fun of me if I say it first. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, and, I think that's but very but there's a there's a self-shaming that's just intrinsically awful for you as a person that she's like, I'm not going to do that anymore. And you're right. Elaine does not have any of that. She can poke fun at herself, but it's not in a humiliating way. Absolutely. The only two observations I have are one, it's just weird to see people smoking indoors. Uh, You You know, it's a comedy club where she does this one, which changes on Broadway baby. And she makes comment about it in Broadway baby. She does. She does. But in party one, it's just weird to see people smoking inside at a club. Yeah. For all you youngins. Uh, used to be able to smoke cigarettes inside everywhere, on flights, on airplanes, in restaurants. Way more recently than you would expect. It's too. crazy. It's just, yeah. Um, so that was nuts. The last thing I noticed about Party One, which is interesting to watch evolve through her specials, is she only makes one small political joke. And politics are part she of does. so many stand-up bits now for everybody, all the greats, anywhere you go. But she makes one small joke where she's like, ah, so Reagan, Reagan's president. Of course, no Reagan voters in here. And like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, no one wants to admit they voted for Reagan. That's her own in an hour, which is amazing. Sometimes a whole set is Didn't she, can't, didn't she say like he carried 48 states, but nobody voted for him or something yeah, yeah, like exactly. that? She made some joke. Exactly. It's like, yeah. Exactly. She's like, oh, yeah, no one voted for him. No one voted for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the last thing I'll say about this special, she does dedicate it to Andy Kaufman. He had passed away by then. Oh, yeah, right. And just really acknowledges that he shared with her the real secret of comedy, which is you have to keep going. Even when it's hard, even when you are deflated and demoralized, you have to keep going. You have to keep getting up every night and doing the work. She does not stop at Party of One. Nay, she creates a party of many. Yes. One year later, releases Broadway Baby, Broadway her second. Baby. Broadway, baby. This is where she's kind of talking about 
her childhood dream of becoming, uh, of being on Broadway. And this special, they actually got to like the intro, the little opening mini movie vignette that they recorded is actually her doing sort of a Broadway number on actual Broadway, which we'll talk about in a second. And then her show itself is on Broadway in a theater there. Which that little kid can sing so well. Yeah, the little kid that plays she young her it. is great. Yeah, her joke in this one is I wanted to do something on TV with clothes on, which I thought <laughs> <laughs> was great. And she said, I got real money to produce this one. So back to your comment about her making all of those jabs. Oh, yeah. She also said something very interesting here, talking about political humor. She's like, what's really fascinating in this special And she's like, I can tell the same political jokes, only the names change and the jokes still work. That's how much things really haven't changed. When she said that in the intro to Broadway Baby, I kept that in the back of my mind. And when she did politics in Toph Tamata, I tried to take out the names she was saying and put in contemporary politicians and they 100% work. The jokes still totally work, which is frustrating yeah. Uh, endlessly. <laughs> Disheartening. But, but also amazing for her observational comedy. Absolutely. So this one has an opening. Again, it's her dreaming of being on Broadway. There's a little girl. She has a dream that she's on Broadway. There's this like woman who's performing and Elaine comes out and is like, stop, stop, stop. This isn't me. Like, right. you think you're going to grow up into her? She's like, you're going to grow up into me. And the little girl screams. And <laughs> uh, But then they go into this That's whole awesome. Broadway number, which is just so funny because she's Dancing on actual Broadway again. She's a dancer. She's a singer. She's singing. But it's like the seediest Broadway. It's not the whole like the fantasy of Broadway. I said it looked like the Skid Row set from Little Shop of Horrors. Oh my God, it totally is. (laughs) She's walking along. Oh my God. Guys are cat calling her. She's singing next to these two guys who are like emptying trash in a garbage truck. Police are chasing criminals in and out of like every other shot. Bunch of seedy shops in the background. She's singing in front of like a hot dog stand or something. It's hilarious. So funny. And I made a note. Nine minutes is all it took to get into the actual stand-up. Okay, so she's tightened it up. She's tightened up the act. That's good. It's five minutes shorter, so that's good. Even with a musical number. Good for her. All right, so observations from Broadway Baby. The one right out of the gate is her outfit is fire. Mm. And what's crazy is, so Broadway Baby comes out in 87. The same year, Eddie Murphy's Delirious comes out. Is that when he's wearing the purple one? Uh, Bright red. Like oh, that's gray, bright red. Which is a famous outfit, this sort of like full body red. What's the black leather? and purple leather that he does? Oh, that's in um, Raw. Uh, that's Raw. Raw. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So he's got the, is it pleather, leather? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's actual leather. It's actual leather. And so she's got this like amazing, angu- super 80s, angular leather full suit going on. Yeah. And I was like, she looks amazing. Like she's ready to crush this super 80s style. I loved her look. It's great. Well, there's one part she's getting hot and she like takes her jacket off and like it kind of reveals how the design of it. And it's just a very unique, oh, yeah. cool look, the way it's designed. And you oh, yeah. don't realize it until the jacket comes off. But I just love, you know, stand-up comedians today, with the exception of John Mulaney, who wears a suit and tie on stage every time. It's like jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah. Um, I remember when I saw Brian Posehn live in uh, Champagne. He was just wearing like a nerdy t-shirt. I think it was like a Warcraft t-shirt and jeans. Yeah. <laughs> but like, <laughs> you know, right. to have Murphy and Boozler at the same time wear this super audacious, very similar kind of outfit, just different colors. I thought that was cool. I liked that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. Other observations about this one? Oh, yeah. So I teased this in the first one. But it was interesting now in the late 80s as the AIDS epidemic is really taking off. 
she doesn't harp a lot on the tragedy that is AIDS and HIV, mm. but she talks differently about her open sex life and that you need to be a little more careful. You need to like, you got to get to know a little better who you're dating, you know, and like the audience sort of has the nervous relating laughter to what she's talking about. It's like a slightly different vibe in the room. It's true. Yeah. She, the opening bits, I think it's kind of long if I remember correctly. It was about like safe sex and she's talking about like how condoms have bad advertising and how they need it to be better. <laughs> right. She also makes a joke about the Pope because obviously the Pope and Catholicism as an institution is very anti-contraception. Yeah, right. Right. And she's like, the Pope is hard to please. He says no weird sex, but then kiss my ring. It's just kind of funny. Kiss my ring. It's so true. Well, the joke that I love the most from this special, you know, she's talking about how the stereotype that women have a shopping gene. They just want to shop. Oh, yeah. She goes, well, you know the gene that all men have? Walking down the sidewalk and every time you see an awning, you've got it. And then she does physical comedy. And she jumps and slaps jumps the awning. Jumps against the awning. And that was another one of those like, it's so true. I can't true. avoid trying to jump and slap stuff <laughs> that I think I can reach my entire life. I think she's like, you'll never see a woman doing this. Right. But any guy rocks under nodding. Yeah. I've just never heard any other comedian make that observation. And it was so true and so funny. Yeah. I loved it. There's one where she's talking about childbirth, and she's like, there's all these natural childbirths, Lamaze, Le Boyer. She's like, they're still long and painful. I'd have the Heimlich. I was kind of bummed that the special cut off, but it seemed like at the end, she didn't leave the stage. She told her last joke, lots of applause, and then she starts taking Q&A from the audience. Oh, I missed that. She starts like, okay, okay, you, sir. And you start, you start to hear a voice off screen, and she goes, oh, yeah, yeah. And then it like fades out. Oh, I and that's that. something I've never seen is like Q&A with the comedian after their special. You know who does like an interesting Q&A is David Sedaris. If you ever go to a reading oh, by David Sedaris, I could see that. he'll do his readings. But then at the end, he'll like open it up to the audience for questioning before he then goes and signs everyone's books. Like the man's there for like 10 hours, I feel like. Well, that sounds like an evening with Kevin Smith. Well, I, I went and saw uh, with our theme song musician. I once saw Kevin ah. Smith live in Indianapolis, Indiana. And he was notorious for doing these things called an evening with Kevin Smith. And he would just like get up there and he would only do like half an hour, 45 minutes of some jokes. And then there's mics all over the theater. And his rule is he will answer questions until there are no questions left. And we walked out of the theater like 2 a.m. We're like, I think we have enough of Kevin Smith. And he was still there. Take questions. It was incredible. Yeah, he definitely seems like a guy who just loves to be chatty with anybody. If there's interesting conversation, he's there for it. 100%. Um, so you mentioned the no smoking in the theater. Right. And the people start to clap and she's like, oh, notice no one with the yellow tip fingers clap for that. I was like, <laughs> yeah, there it is because it's Broadway. She's like, you know, they actually passed a law in L.A. for no smoking in restaurants. New York's trying to do this as well. She's like, New York can't even enforce murder laws. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. You know, it's what so... are they going to do for smoking? And the thing is like. Some of her observational comedy holds up over the decades. Oh, yeah. And that was a thing, too, where you currently all over the country are ridiculous laws getting passed. And I saw it just as like I saw some news about another one coming out being proposed. And I'd just seen that that special. And I thought the same thing of like, you can't even enforce the most basic and important laws that are out in our streets. How are you going to do this thing? Like, yeah. what are you going to do? That's so good. She's so timeless. We mentioned she loves sports and she's really big into baseball. And she right. makes a joke about basically men grabbing themselves, particularly in like baseball or whatever. Right. And she has this funny joke 
Men don't grab themselves in any sport where they have to shake hands after. Yeah, right. <laughs> She's like, tennis, golf, no. She's like, in football, they're grabbing themselves all the time, just smacking each other on the butt. She's like, keep it in the same proximity. I just thought that was kind of funny. I totally agree. I love that. So obviously our listeners know that math class is going to be pretty short this episode because I don't think it's any secret. We like Elaine Boozler. But so far, is anything not working for you in her sets? So yeah, there there is one very short bit. I mean, this holds up very well, which we'll end up talking about. But there's one thing she says that I really cringed at. And I don't know if you caught this one. Someone asked what David Letterman's like, and she's like, oh, he's great. He's actually a small black woman in person. And everyone starts (laughs) to laugh. And then she's like, and Paul Schaefer is a tall oriental. And I was just like, doesn't age well at all. Oof. I'm not someone who's going to go persecute people retroactively, but I'm sure she would probably think that doesn't age well. She cringed at her own vocabulary choice now too. But that was it. Yeah. And that's kind of it for, I think, Broadway Baby. Yeah. Yeah. So let's jump ahead a couple years to 1989 when she releases... I really want to call this Top Tomata, but in the intro, she calls it Top Tomata. I, okay, that made me so sad because when I saw the intro text, I was the same way. That I was like, oh, Top Tomata. Okay, she's got her Brooklyn accent. She's got some tough New Yorker going on. Do you want to take that back? Do you want to redo your move? <laughs> this one's really interesting. There's a lot going on in this one. There's a lot going on in this one. The big thing I took from her intro is uh, she worked with Phyllis Diller. Yeah, uh, right. Got to know her and Phyllis was actually in this little opener skit thing that we're talking about. It's really funny. She's like, Phyllis Diller is really this woman who paved the way for us and continues to. And she's like... Yeah, we're just a bunch of road crews out here creating infrastructure. And I thought that was just the funniest joke because we always talk about people paving the way. Yeah. Like, okay, all the other ladies can follow us. It's just kind of a funny yeah, clip. totally. That's all I have from her little box set introduction. Yeah. And then this is one where it's a very, I would say of the openers, this one felt the most drawn out and disjointed. It's basically her deciding what to do for her next Special and the whole like thesis is she's disillusioned. Yeah, right. And there's these different people and they're just having all these conversations. She makes the joke about the union electricians. Everything's costing too much money. She's like, I have to recycle one of my outfits. And she goes to the closet and pulls the two outfits she wore in her first two specials. And someone's like, you can't show those. You can't wear the same outfit twice. And just all this like silliness going on. And then Phyllis Diller shows up and... Gives her money to buy a new outfit. And then she runs really quickly into Jimmy Walker backstage. And then she goes on stage. I was the most annoyed at this one. Like, I want to get to Elaine on stage. Yeah. This felt like a barrier. To be fair, I don't even remember this one. I don't even remember the intro of this one. Maybe I was like, I know this format. I'm just going to fast forward. Well, let's jump ahead 14 minutes. We're back Uh, to 14 minutes. 14. To get Elaine on the stage. This is what we're here for. What stood out for this one? Well, the most shocking thing is, does she lose her New York accent? Oh. I felt between all three specials, her New York accent becomes less and less pronounced. And then in the modern interviews, it's gone. You would have no idea from her accent where in the country she's from. Huh. I don't remember observing. And that happens. That happens. I I had a friend who's from Indiana who moved to London after college and adopted an English accent. And every time I'm like, dude, what is this? What is this yeah. cloak you've put on? But people can do that. People move to a region and they sort of adopt the sort of accent and the narratives. And maybe she's not a Brooklynite anymore. I don't know. All right. The thing that stuck out to me about her comedy most in Top Tomata, I'm going to call it Top Tomata. I'm Go going to it. mispronounce it. 
because that's my West Coast accent. Um, there it is. In that she starts to make observations about things she's not involved in. And I feel like her first two specials were all about her life and oh, the ridiculousness point. of what she moves through. But in Top Tomato, first of all, she does a, a lot of bits just about Omaha because the special is being filmed in Omaha. Omaha. That's true. And their first two were both in New York. Right. And so she's talking yeah. about the town. She's talking about the people in Omaha. That's like a normal thing where you make some comments about the city you're in to do your special. Yeah. But Elaine didn't do that in the first two. Right. It's about her lived experience. And then the other thing under that umbrella is um, she does a lot of political work. This has a lot of political work. It's mostly a lot of a lot of uh, guff on Dan Quayle and Bush Sr. Is, is, a lot of Quayle time, humor. A lot of Quayle talk. Automatic weapons. A lot, a lot of automatic. Some stuff about, yeah. Yeah, which again makes this her bits timeless. She's like, if you need 100 bullets to kill a deer, it's not your sport. That's one of the things she said. <laughs> which I thought was so good. Right, because yeah. that's a Bush didn't want to outlaw auto guns because of hunting reasons. Yeah. So those were the two. That, that was like one of my biggest takeaways from the special. It's just she moves outside of her immediate bubble to make observations. Yeah, she talks a little bit about, she doesn't say the war on drugs, but she talks about a drug czar being appointed. <laughs> right, yeah. And she keeps joking, like, kids don't know what a czar is. You should call it a drug dentist if you want to scare them out of doing <laughs> drugs, which I thought was funny. And her joke about a female president, women can be president because they'll be too erratic. And she's like, actually, I think that's a good thing. Like, you take hostages on a day when I'm retaining water. <laughs> so that was great. Oh, that was so good. She does some jokes about like gaining and losing weight. She's like, you just gain and lose weight your entire life. She's like, everyone thinks Oprah was brave to go on TV and talk about how she lost 100 pounds. She's like, I've lost 3,000 pounds. Gain, lose, gain, lose, gain, lose. That was kind of funny. Speaking of uh, math humor, she Mm. does about aging too. And she's not that old. She's like in her late 30s in the special, but she's got two bits I thought were really good. One, how does she tell her age? When she says it in the last special, and she also says it in Top Tomato, but this is where I wrote it down. She says, I'm 2017. So yeah. she always does the math. And I was like, wait, she's making a joke about the year 2017? Oh, she's doing the math. She never ages beyond 20. I get it now. Yeah, you're sitting here like, oh, wow. Like, we're past that year right? already. She's it's doing crazy. this back in the 80s. It's so funny. And the other thing that I thought was beautiful, because we've got friends who are like this, where she goes on this big rant about being 37 and trying to call your partner your boyfriend. Yeah, she's like, what am I, eight years old? <laughs> exactly. You just can't figure out what the appropriate label is for adults who yeah. are monogamous but not married. I thought that was very poignant. Yeah, because she's like, a lover? Like, that sounds really gross. She's like, significant other? I'm not suing the guy. And <laughs> yes, thank you. And she's like, spousal equivalent. What is he, an artificial sweetener? Yeah, that's spousal so good. Spousal equivalent. She's got some dog humor. I think in the previous one and in this one, she does a lot of dog humor. Oh, yeah. She's getting to the dogs, yeah. But you can see there's a lot more of that. She makes a joke. Everything at the vet costs $200. Did you, uh, did any of the dog humor land with you? You guys have a dog. Did uh, any of that kind of... Yeah, I mean, her price tag is about right. If you like every time we leave, it's like, are you kidding me? That costs 200 bucks. <sighs> There's another joke she made about, I'd say, more conservative politicians taking sex ed out of school. And, and you know, she's talking about like, well, birth is a miracle. And she's like, so is popcorn if you don't know how it happens. Yes! <laughs> that was That's so, so on point. This kid. Now, what is really interesting about a special that reminded me why some things were better in the 80s than they are today. I rented this movie through Amazon Prime, which gives you, it's such a weird rental policy where once you rent it, Mm. you have 30 days to start watching it. 
But the minute you start watching it, you have 48 hours to finish it. It is a ticking clock. It's a ticking clock. And you pay money to rent this. And I literally missed my cutoff by like an hour. Oh, no. To go back and finish it. I had like 15 minutes left. Oh. So comedians put so much time into their closer, and I didn't, I don't know what her closer was on this one. I didn't want to go back and pay for the whole thing again. The last joke I have, I don't think this was her closer, which was funny. She's talking about sports, and she jokes like, you should marry a Cubs fan because he'll stick through anything with you. Uh, You only have to treat him well once every eight years, you know, because it's like a, (laughs) we grew up in Cincinnati area. The Reds have not usually been very good. They've had some years here and there. Or the Bengals, right? Like almost any Ohio sports team, maybe besides the Cavs. But it's like, they're your team, even though they never do well, which I thought was hilarious. Oh, yeah. She also jokes like, uh, if I find out I have three minutes left to live, I hope it's at a basketball game because I'll get another 15 years. (laughs) 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 Which is great. I've been to so many college basketball games and those last 10 minutes are forever. They are the slowest part. They're slower than the all preceding part of the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's so real. It's awesome. Definitely a lot of that. And this one I just want to mention real quickly had weird crowd energy. Oh, yeah. You you teased this. What was going on? What did you see? She would say things where people were actively booing. Not her necessarily, but she'd make a comment and there'd be booing. And like two or three times she's like, is that booing or mooing? <laughs> I felt like it was her way to diffuse it. She did a lot of very nimble work. If you're not paying attention, you miss it. She doesn't feed the troll. She doesn't feed the heckler. She just kind of has a really nimble way to pivot and not make a thing out of it. Are they booing like the topic? Like she says Dan Quayle and somebody boos Dan Quayle or like- Kind of like that. Or like, I think she said she's a Mets fan and like people booed. Oh, sure. like So it was things like that. They weren't necessarily booing her per se, but it was very pronounced and it happened multiple times. And then- in the middle of the show, these guys walk up and put flowers on the stage for her. <laughs> I miss that. That's amazing. They're on the ground. They walk up to the stage and they have flowers. And she's like, oh, we're doing this now? What's this? And she's like, uh, thank you. That's weird. Super bizarre. So I, I don't know what I chalk that up to. Is that just um, a different, you know, a lot of comedians talk about it's different going to cities and regions in the country. You get different kinds of audiences. Is it just like something you get in a different part of America? I don't know. Yeah. If this was a guy, would they have done something goofy like that or been mooing at her? I don't think so. I don't think so. No one's ever put flowers on my stage before. Uh, Turn around, Ben. I just dropped some flowers off for you. (gasps) Oh, Christopher, (laughs) you shouldn't have. So those were her three specials in the 1980s. Ben, before we wrap up and go to lunch, is there anything you want to get off your chest, out into the air about Elaine Boozler's comedy in the 80s? I feel like it's a missed opportunity. Almost every episode we do, I try and pitch a few people from the topic to come on the show. Like actually from the thing. Yeah. And most of them never going to happen. Never, ever going to happen. But I feel like Elaine is right in that perfect highway where, like, I feel like she would have maybe entertained the idea of talking with us. And she would have had such good background stories about the development of these jokes, about these specials. We would have been laughing constantly. We just basically had to mute our tracks because we'd just be cackling the whole time. There's not one part of me that thinks her agent saw my email, told Elaine. Elaine was like, no, this agent dropped the ball. He either didn't check his email or... Or he saw it and he's like, nah, 
Elaine's above that. You know, and it may not have even been the agent. It may have been the person that works for the agent yeah, that screens everything. Exactly. You uh, screener, why you are you a gatekeeper? Don't be that person. Well, we might find out in contemporary culture why Elaine is just so darn tootin' busy and doesn't have the time to entertain oh, our good. piddly little podcast. Well, I only want to find out if I have milk to shoot out my nose. So I'm going to need some snacks and some refreshments. Well, let's head on down to the cafeteria for lunch and uh, let's snort that milk and then I'll see you. (laughs) Then I'll see you in contemporary culture after. Great night, huh? It's so nice to be at the improv. They, they make it a little warm here, so you'll drink a little more. Uh, and this is the only club in the country that salts the glass for a slow gin fizz. So uh, I was in the bar playing Pac-Man while I was waiting. I figured that game out. I've got it down, Pac-Man. Pac-Man is the history of the Jewish people being chased while eating. Uh, anybody live alone? Live alone? Yeah? Do you like it? Yeah? I love it. It's great. You never have to clean up. I find things in the refrigerator, I have to figure out what they used to be. Like once I was throwing out this lime, and I said, I don't buy limes, and I realized that used to be a head of lettuce. I like to open a restaurant for single people. You walk in, it's all sinks, no tables and chairs. Everybody eats standing over the sink. And whatever you order, it comes in the package it came in so you can read the back while you're eating. And no matter what you order, you have to eat a pint of Haagen-Dazs while it's cooking. (laughs) I don't want you to think I'm terrible. You know, I do clean up a little bit. I really do try. If company's coming, oh, I'll wipe the lipstick off the milk container. (laughs) Comb the soap. You know, check it out. Yeah, it's getting too real now, isn't it? <laughs> I think I don't clean up because my mother cleaned up enough for the rest of my life, so I'm even now. She was very proud of clean up. She'd say, look, look, you could eat off my floor. You could eat off my floor too. There's thousands of things down there. Well, in keeping with the theme of the 80s, we just got back from the cafeteria snorting a white substance off the counter. Uh, so Could have re- been milk. Could have been, been milk. Another Who substance knows? that people to, snorted in the 80s. I don't know what that could have been. Uh, but we're in contemporary culture. You did a great tease. And I am really curious because I didn't dig because this is your topic. And I wanted to see what you had. Uh, what did she do after these specials? What's got her so busy? Yeah. So let's talk a little bit. I got different segments. The first thing I'm going to talk about are some accolades. So oh, yeah, sure. Good. She was named one of Comedy Central's greatest 100 stand-up comedians of all time. Nice. Deserving. One of Rolling Stone Magazine's 50 best stand-up comedians of all time. Rolling Stone also called her the first lady of stand-up comedy. I thought that was pretty cool. Well, apparently they didn't read the history. Mom, Mom's Maybelline would have a thing I or two mean, to yeah, say Yeah, exactly. It. But, you know, they're trying. So those are just a few things I found. But I don't think she gets a lot of the notoriety that she really deserves. In fact, I was looking at – there's an article from the New York Times that says Elaine Boozler, the comedy master who hasn't gotten her due. Oh, I hope by now she's gotten her due. This is one of those things where they're really famous people – and they continue to have a very successful career, but they go behind the camera. They yeah. go do stage performance. They do a different thing. And they do amazing stuff. We just don't hear about it all the time. 
And so just because someone's not famous always in the media, doesn't mean they're not doing really cool stuff. Yeah, so let's true. talk a little bit about Elaine Behind. leading up to current times. Yeah, so right, good. she did release two more specials, Live Nude Girls in 1991. <laughs> and she released 5050 Club, which uh, in 2018, so pretty recently. Well, Live Nude Girls, what was the what was the night comedy special that started after her? Women of the Night? Women of the Night. <laughs> okay, and now it's Live Nude Girls. Okay, great. <laughs> Live Nude Girls. So these four shows, plus 5050 Club, which I think is audio only, were all a part of that box set released in 2018. So that's like basically five hours of Elaine Boozler content. Not enough, I would argue. We want more. We want more. Elaine has regularly been on HBO's Comic Relief. I should say she was. I don't think that's on anymore. Mm. She was also, I think she was on 33 times on Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher. Oh, yeah. She toured for troops in the Middle East. She did a lot of benefits that helped veterans. Cool. Uh, So that was like a big cause for her. That's great. She was in an HBO documentary, Robin Williams, Come Inside My Mind, probably because it sounds like she knew. Because they were roomies. Robin really well, yeah. Sounds like maybe dating at some point. In 2017 and 18, she was seen weekly on CNN comedy series, The History of Comedy. She was on an episode of My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And she regularly guests on a radio show now called Tell Me Everything. Well, so she does radio shows. Elaine, come on. She does radio shows. I think she was at one of the White House Correspondents Dinners, I think for Obama, if I remember correctly. So she did one of those. Oh, that's awesome. She's out there making people laugh, maybe just not doing stand-up comedy specials. Yeah, right, right. So that's her comedy career, let's call it. Sure. But there's also other stuff going on in kind of her personal professional life that I just want to touch on real quick. Okay. She began volunteering at a boxer rescue. Uh, those are dogs. Boxer dogs? Not rescuing. <laughs> For ex-Rocky extras. <laughs> uh, rehabbing them. Getting punched in the jaw. And then she eventually joined the board of directors and later bought a rescue kennel and then eventually went on to found her own animal rescue and advo- oh, no advocacy kidding. organization in 2001. And that's called Taylor. Of joy. Uh, benefits, it says, the smallest, neediest rescue organizations and individual cases nationwide. That's cool. So she's basically hmm. helping all these other organizations stay afloat, do what they got to do, helping the little guy to help the dogs, which yeah. is awesome. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, she sung the national anthem at a baseball game. I saw the video clip of that. She actually did really well. She's thrown the first pitch at games. She wrote a, this is interesting, she was commissioned to write a performance piece for a symphony orchestra called Rescue, A True Story, and it's following the story of a rescue dog. So she wrote a lot of the, like, the dialogue, and I think some of the, like, music, I don't think she composed it, but I think she wrote, like, a lot of that for this symphony orchestra, which sounds pretty awesome. I would love to know. So like you said, uh, when Broadway Baby comes out, she starts to inject dog humor into it, and, like, something happened there. Something changed in Elaine's life where she got a dog in the mid eighties. And I mean, this, this paves the way for one way to say the second half of her career. Definitely a huge passion, right? Yeah. And then lastly, uh, she's working on several projects right now. Uh, one is a book entitled Big Fun, and she's also writing another book. Because, you know, why write one book when you can write two? you got plenty of time. Elaine Boozler's Tales of Joy. So my guess is that one's probably about the organization and some stories from what she's been able to do with that nonprofit, which is cool. Well, Elaine, I know you figured this out in party of one, but if I can give you just a little bit of advice about book writing. When I tried mm. to publish a book, what agents told me is I needed a celebrity 
intro to gain people's <laughs> attention. And that's why that book never got published, because I had nobody who would want to write an intro to that. So, you know, get a big name to write your intro, and then people will read it. That's that's what I learned. Lastly, there's something she wrote pretty recently. Unfortunately, as we all may know, Louis Anderson, stand-up comedian, died recently. Yeah. Very sad. And she wrote a really nice piece about him. I just, there's a few things I pulled out that I thought were just really great because I I didn't mention him earlier, but Louis Anderson is also another early comedian that I thought was really funny. I remember seeing him as a stand up and just a a big heart and just a, a really generous, nice guy. And that's kind of what Elaine talks about. She says, another great has passed and though we will always have his body of work to enjoy, there is nothing like seeing a master comedian at work. If you never had the chance to see Louis Anderson weave comedy gossamer live on stage, you really missed something. He gently, unhurriedly delivered the most poignant, incisive, empathetic, hilarious, honest comedy I've ever seen. He was so gentle, the harsh truths of his and all of our lives didn't sting. But they certainly hit their mark. He took his time on stage as if spontaneously thinking of what to say next. Yet the show was so beautifully written. So well-reasoned, it surprised and delighted at every turn. Mm, yeah. You know, she said they were never like super close, but obviously somebody that she knew and, you know, got to know. Yeah. But I kind of feel like birds of a feather, like brilliant, touching humor, the kind of sharp, precise wit. Like that's a lot of what Elaine also has. Oh, and yeah. so you just you just have to wonder if there wasn't like this kindred spirit kind of thing between them. Yeah. I mean, I wonder and I, I kind of hope if it was sort of, uh, you know, if two people meet and even if there's not a romantic relationship, but they grow together in directions and 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 evolve that that can gain a mutual respect and understanding for going through it together. Right. And in all the great memorials that have come out about him over the last week, one was his first appearance on the Carson Show, and it, you know it was like uh, Louis Anderson crushes on his first appearance on Carson, mm. and every joke he delivers, the audience loses it. And every single joke for 10 minutes is self-deprecating about his weight. Yeah. And it's really hard to watch now. Yeah. And it just shows how taste in humor and observation uh, has sort of evolved. Definitely a lot of self-deprecation from Louis. And, and again, I think it was part of the, I'll beat you to the joke. So Totally, 100%. I take it away from you kind of a thing. He makes that comment in it. He's like, what, you guys don't know that I know that I look like this? Like he makes, you know, he says it straight out. But by all accounts, just a a nice, sweet person. Very generous, very kind. And so. Oh my gosh, yeah. Rest in power, sir. And also we should mention too, another uh, comedian, a lot of stand-up, very sad Bob Saget. uh, Also big 80s icon as well. So it's, it's been a rough year for... Some great names, Meatloaf as well. Bob Saget, Meatloaf, and Louis Anderson all back to back. Was it 2017? That was just like a hard hitting end. Oh my god! And now 2022 is is starting off the hardest one. It was like (sighs) the same way. It was like I was like trying to do dishes and I had to stop because I was listening to it. But Bob Saget had a very popular podcast for a long time. Mm. Sometimes he has celebrity guests on and they talk about the craft and acting. And he ends every single episode telling that person he loves them. Mm. And not like a funny, like, I love you, man. Like a super sincere, yeah. I love you to everybody. And you're just like, Bob Zagan, no. no. <laughs> like, oh, oh, man. That hits in a even harder way. Yes. Oh, my God. So harsh. Anyway, on to more about Boozer's life. So, I mean, that, that's kind of what I have to say about Elaine. But I do want to talk about where comedy has kind of gone. Because, again, 
She is a pioneer in the field. I don't think she's really kind of gotten her due. It's, yeah. It's like, it's a little bit like Pad Benatar not getting in that freaking Hall of Fame. Right. Does she need it? Right. No. Does she deserve it? Yes. yes. Yeah. And Boozler has left such a mark and really is another one of those pioneers or road construction crews paving the way <laughs> road construction crews. for others. And you just see so many more women and so much diversity in comedy now. Ali Wong. Yes, she's on my list too. To, for first the off, Asian performer, also performing eight months pregnant, Super pregnant. on stage when she yes. did Baby Cobra. She's like, can you imagine it. going on Johnny Carson to no. deliver her humor? And an amazing, like amazing set. She's so funny. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, Tig Notaro. Oh, sure. Yeah. Freaking hilarious. And she's very open and honest about her cancer diagnosis, about her yeah. double mastectomy. Really doesn't shy away from deep personal pain, but also just delivers it in her like dry, but warm. Like it's so hard to describe Tig's performance, but just it's just very endearing and real. And she's just really funny and also very sharp and witty. And oh, it's just so great. The most surprising Tig uh, performance that like I loved and I never thought I would love uh, yeah. is her performance as the engineer on Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> I think she's oh. really good on Star Trek Discovery. I didn't know she was on that. That's hilarious. She's awesome on it. She's really good. Uh, Hannah Gadsby, I mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's very open, uh, I think on her second special, Douglas, about autism and oh, yeah. neurodiversity. And that's just something that maybe other comedians have talked about, but I feel like she really kind of tackled in a new way. Do you know Nicole Byer? She's on Nailed It. The oh, cake, yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, Nicole Her dessert cake-making yeah, 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 yeah. uh, show. What I love about her is she's like Saget. Like everyone thinks of Saget as like, oh, he's America's dad. He's the nice dad on Full House. He's right. the nice guy on America's Funniest Home Videos. And he sees stand up and it's like F word. Super dirty. Yeah, dirty. absolutely. Nicole Byer has this cheery, bright personality. She's so much fun. She's filthy. She's so <laughs> filthy. Her podcast, Why Don't You Date Me, is so filthy. But in a great way, I'm not being negative about that because she just has this confident sexuality. And again, the body positivity. Yeah. Kind of like you talked about with uh, Elaine and being sex positive. Yeah. And uh, it's great. You have a great list. The only two female comedians I would – Add. I mentioned Eliza Schlesinger earlier mm, on, mm, mm. who's super funny. And the reason I, I connect her so and much- And I'll admit, I've never watched one of her specials. Oh, they're great. Go, I mean- I need to go do go that. Not, She's fantastic. I've not watched it. It is like tears down the face funny. There's a similar thread in Elaine's, especially her earlier work, of like being a strong, independent woman in the dating scene. And like yeah. being out there and how ridiculous it is and standing up for yourself and like how silly it is. Very, very clear line between her and Elaine there. Yeah. And the other one, you mentioned how Nicole Byer is filthy. I I know she's an acquired taste, but I actually really like Sarah Silverman. Oh, Sarah's great. I think oh, Sarah's yeah. hilarious. And yes, oh, yeah. still a little filthier, a little more to the poo-poo, doo-doo humor. <laughs> um, but creative, funny, unique kind of message, like does things in her own style. And I think some of that comes out of the road building, the construction crew. <laughs> <laughs> that Elaine and others laid down. I, I just imagine yes. all these female comedians with like the hard, hard hats, hats and the orange, orange, orange yeah. vest. Right, right. But do they catcall when a guy walks by? That's what I know. I mean, they should because that, the, yeah, that was part of Elaine's joke is like the catcaller. She's like, could you imagine if someone actually took up one of these guys? He's like, hey, I'm on the clock. I can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was pretty funny. Actually. She's, She's so good. good. So I want to close out because if you like just talking about the craft of stand-up comedy and comedy itself – 
Ben, you mentioned earlier comedians and cars getting coffee. Yeah, I cannot yeah. recommend this enough. It's on Netflix now. I freaking love Jerry Seinfeld. He talks to like all the comedians. Actually, his Sarah Silverman episode's really freaking funny. I bet. Definitely go check it out. And maybe Jerry, come on, have a lane on next season. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Also, there's a great podcast called Good One by Jesse David Fox, and he brings oh. on comedians who break down an early joke of theirs, like in a set, and really talk about why it worked and how it's oh, different that's interesting. from how they do things now, and just really kind of talks about the nitty gritty of how the joke works or doesn't. That's fantastic. And in Berbiglia, uh, during the pandemic, he started a podcast, which he's continuing, called Working It Out. And basically, this huh. was a supplement for like, comedians aren't on stage. Like the whole point of being on stage is to test jokes and refine them so that you can do these specials. Yeah. And we're not getting that. So it's like he brings a comedian on and they kind of work through new material. And he'll like try material out on them. They can road test material and they talk about what works or what doesn't. Or, hey, if you set this up differently or if you – actually, you say this here, but you should just cut that out. You don't need it. Hmm. And so it's just them, again, kind of talking shop. Really cool. That'd be really fun to like listen to like – the craft live. It's like it's like yeah. everyone wants to go to like a glass blowing studio and just watch people yeah. blow glass. Like see the yeah. art made. It's cool. Absolutely. With that being said, we have some judgments to make. The lights have come up. The show is over. It's time for us to say how we think Elaine Boozler's career in the 80s and these three specials holds up. Perfect, because this woman has not had enough men judging her already. So let's let's <laughs> All right, let the men speak, everybody. Let the men finally get their chance. God almighty. All right. Uh, You could not. Oh, my gosh. That was great, man. Oh, my my God. The moment we've all been waiting for. Right. How did the two white guys from the Midwest (laughs) feel about Elaine's comedy? Uh, Oh, boy. Here we go. Okay, Ben, I want you to go first because we, we have our normal cadence. You go, I go, and then you get to drop oh, a yeah, bomb. Right. What's our next topic? Pew, pew, pew. What's the next Broadway baby? What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? Look, it's hard to have like a good summary here that hasn't already been said. I am- Ben, s- you're like, my summary is the last hour and a half right, of the show. Just go listen to the rest just of the show. Rewind. I am so glad you picked her because obviously you and I both share a, a deep love for- stand-up comedy, and, and a lot of variety in stand-up comedy. Like, there's a lot of mm. different comedian types of different comedians we love. And Elaine, I just, I missed the bus. If I was running through New York, I didn't yeah. have my quarter, and I couldn't get on, and I missed the Boozler bus. Boom. Um, but I'm so glad you've shined this light on the 80s of her for me, because she's freaking hilarious. And her comedy holds up so well, frankly, because she doesn't do a lot of observational comedy outside of her own circle like most the majority of her comedy is about her lived experience in life and so much about what she's done and how she lives it is very relatable and very funny from from pet ownership to cooking to going out to eat to dating like it all holds up and to your point earlier on none of it is ever really out to get anybody necessarily she definitely again as she ages she's got some negative commentary about politics but that's about it even though and a lot of her comedy, men are goofy. She yeah. obviously loves men and loves dating and loves the men in her life. So it's still just so positive and relatable and funny and her energy is contagious. She is a fabulous stand-up comedian. And I'm in one way disappointed that she hasn't continued as voraciously to do live stand-up comedy because I think she would continue to be 
so sharp and so relevant. Right. But she has left that to do some wonderful good work that the world needs. And so I can't fault her for that. So sure. uh, Boozler, 10-10, holds up, fantastic, rewatch the specials. Uh, but if you can't, go get them somewhere else besides Amazon Prime because you don't really get them for very long. Go buy the physical box set as Boozler intended and enjoy it as many times as you want. I agree. Go do that. Now we get to the harshest. So how do you really feel about yeah. Ms. Boozler? Are women actually funny? The jury's <laughs> out. No, <just> <laughs> oh my God. This will not be harsh at all because I really enjoyed Elaine's style. Like I said, she had the sharp witticisms, these great observations, but it's all wrapped in a lot of charisma and just a very conversational, casual delivery. It's like you're just having a conversation with somebody, be it one-sided. It's like you're talking to a friend who just can't stop making funny commentary about, like you said, the crazy life around us. Yeah. And yeah, despite being precise, she's not mean-spirited. I love that she's not afraid to explore sex, single living, age, how women and men are treated differently. And as I mentioned that she said about her political humor, the names change, the jokes can stay the same because they still hit their mark. So it's great. And I think more broadly, what I like about people who do kind of forge a path, who, you know, I love a good steamrolling dirtbag story, right? Of course. People who tell you you can't do a thing and the person not only proves them wrong, but is a blowout success. Carol Burnett. Pat Benatar. Uh, we talked about Elaine with Jazzercise, uh, Judy Shepard Missa, who couldn't get a freaking loan, right? <laughs> and she built an empire. It's often because someone's told no, because they look different, they are different. The market's not ready for you. Yeah. No one's going to get you. And what I really appreciate is that difference is a teacher. And I appreciate and applaud the constant reminder that the biggest barriers are those in our minds. That's the real barrier. Mm. It's small minds, right? Closed minds. Yeah. Time and again, when someone kicks down the doors and demands to be let in, we all benefit. Yeah. And the crafts flourish because of it. Because difference is a teacher, and we all need the lesson again and again. Ooh. So, thank you, Elaine. Thank you, Phyllis Diller. Thank you, Jackie Moms Mabley. All the other women... That we talked about and many we couldn't even touch on in this episode because not enough time. Yeah, seriously. Thank you so much for uh, continuing to just be funny and be awesome and be a part of the conversation. And Elaine, thanks for your mix of wit, laughter, and humanity. It's been a treat to revisit. And Elaine, again... We'll do an after-school special. You just hit us up. <laughs> we'll, ch- we'll let you chat our ears off. We're not going to do an after-school special. We're going to do a part two. Yeah, we'll give you a whole episode. platform. Come and get us. Heck yeah, we Come want it. We want get it. us. Oh, it'd be so much fun. Okay, Ben. Until Elaine becomes the third co-host on this podcast, what do we have in store for our next topic of 80s High? What can I and our listeners look forward to? By the time this episode comes out, Chris, we are now in the throes of the season of love. That's right. Valentine's Day is right around the corner. And for time immemorial, we have struggled to express our love to our crush, to mm-hmm. assume another. What is just the right thing to say, to finally reveal mm. that you love everything this person does? Do you stand in someone's front yard with a stereo blasting music? Oh dear. Do you go up on Broadway and leave flowers on a stage? 
Yeah. Do you put your message on the Jumbotron at a baseball game? Do you pay someone $1,000 to go on a date with you? <laughs> That's also an option. However, Can't Buy Me Love, Patrick Dempsey. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going with. So we're not watching Can't Buy Me Love. No, we're not buying it. But it's a great segue because when you are young and in love, you rarely have the cash to do anything big. We're watching Big again? We're watching Big the sequel, <laughs> Bigger. Uh, two Hanks, too many. <laughs> too many Hanks. Too many Hanks. Um, what can uh, you do as a young, love-tossed individual to show that you are ready to put in the effort, that you listen carefully, and that can help you say the words that you can't quite say yourself? Well, that's right. For hours on end, you would sit by the stereo to make the most perfect mixtape for oh, that special okay. someone. Next All time right. on our little podcast, we're going to make an 80s mixtape. Yes. And go on back to talk about the origin of mixtapes, mixtapes we may have received, mixtapes we may have made, and mm. the effects on those in our circles over the years. Ah, uh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm very excited to talk about this phenomena, I don't know that... Does it still happen? People talk about it. I want to know. We're going to find out. <laughs> Let's just start recording right now. Welcome, everyone, Welcome to 80s Eye. Uh, and we are going to find out next time. Next time. On 80s High. Thanks, everyone, for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to help spread the rumor. Stay radical. Stay radical.